oh my gosh, it's a whole thing about known and unknown and self-discovery and recognizing your blind spots, right? The clearing tool. The clearing tool has been an amazing thing that has changed trust and relationship in my agency. It is like six parts. It's amazing. I love it. It's the way to deal with conflict. Hi, everyone. This is Joshua Hoffman and Alex Garashenko, and welcome to another episode of the Masters in Marketing Agency podcast, where we deconstruct the why and how agency owners found their success, and in season three, discuss how to build a community and referral network. Today, I have Cass Bailey, the CEO of Slice Communications, a marketing agency that makes people pay attention to their clients using public relations, social media, and email marketing. Welcome, Cass. Thank you so much, Josh and Alex. Glad to be here. And before I get into my little scripted first question, I have to say that we are all from Philly. I'm not in Philly anymore, but I love that. I I mentioned last time we talked that I think you were like the only marketing agency that I even knew in Philadelphia. So whatever you guys are doing is is awesome, is clearly doing well, and I'm sure we'll break that down. But um, where I want to start is we obviously had the discovery call before this where, uh, you know, we figure out what I'm going to say on the recording. And the last question that I always ask is what should we talk about that will make this conversation great? so I've never done this before, uh, but I want to jump right into that response. And I don't even know if you remember, but I'll help you remember. You mentioned that we should discuss what communication professionals uh, should be adding to the world today or, you know, what's our higher purpose. So I just want to jump right in there and start with that. Yeah, I love that question because I think a lot of times we get so fixated on the here and now of what does that social post say or what's in that press release is it ap style are we using an oxford comma that like we lose sight of the fact that we have tremendous influence in the world in a lot of cases we direct or advise ceos on what to say and how to say it we influence how nonprofits talk about their mission or their vision or their values like there really is a lot that we have to add to the world of the community and that is a superpower that we should take seriously and be intentional about so what so so pushing the question a little bit further what do you think is that purpose what do you think we should be sharing or if you want to take it a different way like what do you think we should not be sharing or and and putting out there I have very strong opinions these days about responsible social media and about social media and children. Uh, My husband and I, between the two of us, we've got three kids, uh, 5, 12, and 15. And I think a lot of adults don't really understand how our kids are using social, what's responsible and what's not responsible, and also how our clients, our companies are using social if and when and how they're interacting with children. So I have a personal perspective um, as it relates to the importance of all of us providing our children with clean digital footprints, Mm -hmm. um, giving them the opportunity to decide how they show up and when they show up on the internet, giving them the autonomy to be able to make those decisions, but also coaching and guiding and developing them on how they are on the internet and how other people perceive them, whether it's employers or colleges or universities, but being very intentional from day one about how they show up, about what the world knows about them, about what the world doesn't know about them, about how they get to define themselves. And uh, that's something that I think we as communications professionals need to start to practice in our own communities at home, but inform our clients and friends and others about as well. 
What's well, a gonna... clean digital footprint? What do you mean by that? Yeah. So like if you search somebody's name, what shows up? Uh, anything? Does anything show up? If you look, right. What is that record? What is that? Yeah, foot- I don't have an arrest record on there. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, but it is part of your digital footprint. Who exactly. are you? And it's also true, you know, for kids. Like if you were to search a child's name or a child's face on Instagram or on Facebook or um, even on threads, what shows up about that person's life digitally and online and on social? And I think that we should give our children, and I, I feel this very strongly, the ability to define that for themselves with autonomy and not as a result of us posting about them from the time that they're born. Oh, interesting. Um, I, mm-hmm. I do want to double click more on that because I, I sounds like you have great opinions on it so far. And is there... Is there anything that you specifically do with your kids to make them aware of that? Because I, I think the issue is not necessarily like, do this, don't, don't do that. But it's, you know, a lot of times kids don't understand the consequences of life. And especially when you're in your school, you think like the only thing that matters is your little school. And then you get out and you realize like, oh my God, like everything I just did, it does impact my life. So is there anything that you do specifically with your kids to kind of teach them that oh, like your actions do have consequences? We're in a pretty good spot because we know a lot and I know a lot about how social works and how digital algorithms work and things like that. And so initially it is about just reminding them and telling them, hey, let me pull back the curtain for you a little bit and show you what's actually going on here. By the way, do you know when you signed up for this account, you gave away the rights to all of these photos and videos that you no longer own them or really have any control about how they're used on the internet? And a lot of times, like initially, especially kids are like, wait, wait, what? I didn't know that. <laughs> like I'm giving all of this away and I'm losing control of all of it. And at least the kids in my life, they like to have some control, right? Like kids when they're developing are learning about exerting control and they want to try to have it. So we talk about that. Um, we also talk a lot about being very intentional around how you want to show up to other people, hmm. how you want to show up to them today, but also like how you want to show up to them in 20 years from now. And that's hard, right? Like kids are very much in the today moment. But I use examples of, hey, did you see this thing that your friend posted? What do you think their future employer might think of that in a couple a couple of years from now? Oh, the fact that they did the cinnamon challenge or that they posted something that was really mean and derogatory about other people. Like we do talk about that so that they can understand it. But really, like I try to focus on the positivity and the freedom of giving yourselves a that clean digital footprint of deciding who and when and how you want to be and making those choices for yourself. Yeah. I was going to say, I I'm I'm glad we spent some time and kept going in and digging in. I think that was, I think it's something probably we haven't talked about on the podcast yet. So I I did want to keep into that. That was great. Um, So now I want to get a little bit more into the history of slice communications. Um, Your LinkedIn mentioned that you ran the company with a partner, you sold a majority you bought back the whole thing and then you grew it quickly. Um, so I actually want to kind of spend a second in each of those little called categories or chapters. Um, sure. One being running it with a partner. Um, yeah. You know, who was that partner and, and what does that relationship look like now or how did that evolve? Um, yeah. Uh, so that partner was Stacy Bender um, at the time. She and I had worked together in a previous job. Um, unfortunately, we don't have a relationship now. It's kind of a bummer. It was one of the um, tragedies of the buying and selling of the business. 
Uh, but we had worked together in a marketing department at a nonprofit, worked really well together at the time. And it was a good way to to get the business started. What well, what would you have changed about, you know, now you have all this hindsight about what went right and what went wrong? Um, specifically, you know, we'll get to the company in a second, but specifically choosing that partner, working with that partner, especially if it's a friend. Like I've I've started two companies both times with friends. I feel fortunate that I'm still friends with them, but I also in a third company did butt heads with the co-founder. Um, and, you know, we had to almost bring someone in to kind of alleviate it. And and to be honest, she's been a dream and, and everything's great, but what would you have changed um, now that you have hindsight in that whole situation? I think we would have, and I should have early on clearly defined our roles in the company. Um, understood our swim lanes. I think we should have allocated equity in the business based on what each of us had to bring to the table. Uh, that was an article that I read after I bought the company back that like that's a common mistake that a lot of founders, especially friend founders start that they start with is that you just go in 50-50. Oh, we're just going to be 50-50. Whereas one partner might bring a certain skill set and another partner might bring a different skill set. And really 50-50 probably isn't the way that most relationships uh, should be when they start as friends and then become businesses. Um, that that's just a default that actually isn't intentional or thoughtful and creates a lot of resentment from the very beginning. Um, I see you nodding your heads for those of you listening at home. Josh yeah. and Alex seem to agree about some of that sentiment. Um, I also think that we should have been clearer and more honest with each other instead of being so concerned about hurting the other's feelings. Mm. And a lot of times this like refusal to have the uncomfortable conversation or the refusal to identify like the elephant in the room created a lot of problems early on in our relationship. And uh, when we went from friends to co-founders. Yeah. I, and again, I, I keep want to dig into this because I think it's really important to not just, you know, stay a little bit high level, but to actually break mm -hmm. it down so we can kind yeah. of get full lessons. Yeah. In and like, it's a, it really is a marriage. Like all the lessons that you can take from a marriage, you really can put on co-founders. Um, mm -hmm. And the one thing that I want to like, just dive into for a second more is, you know, you mentioned splitting the roles, but like, yeah. I want to learn how you would specifically split the roles. Cause again, as me, you know, listening to the show and maybe starting a marketing agency yeah. or just an agency, or maybe I'm going through this, like, you know, it's like, okay, I can split the roles, but like, how should I actually do that? So, you know, I know this will be a little bit specific to you too, because okay. you have yeah. skills for this and she has skills for that. Um, but how would you have split the roles again with hindsight? I, at that point, had a couple of years of experience in public relations and specifically media relations. Her background and expertise was more in marketing generally. And so when we started this firm, we decided to make it a PR agency, a media relations agency. And so I brought, you know, media relationships, skills, expertise to the table. She had done some work in sales and so was doing a lot of the sales delivery, uh, not the sales delivery, but like the sales, right? The selling, the networking, the marketing, those sort of things. And neither one of us had any real business operations expertise at all whatsoever. So that kind of fell in the gap between sometimes she was responsible for it, but like, I didn't necessarily agree with how she was doing it. And then I would be like, no, no, you need to like, that created a lot of conflict, that gap, both in our skill sets and in letting it fall kind of in between us. Um, and, 
there was just so much we didn't know. We did not know how to run a business at all whatsoever. And neither one of us went out and got that skill set. So I had a lot of the PR. She had sales and networking. None of us had business operations. And it, the, the points of conflict were everywhere. I'm going to, I'm going to keep digging. I, I really like, maybe it's because it's personal to me also. Like we've all done sure. this kind of thing. Um, how, how would you handle an early disagreement? You know, again, hindsight, all that kind of stuff. How would you handle an early disagreement when, you know, a lot of times both people don't know if they're right. And, and what I mean is both people don't have enough experience uh, to say like, Hey, I did this before. This is what happened. This is why we should do it this way. But you're kind of guessing and like, Everyone thinks they're logical, right? Like everyone thinks I'm a lot more logical than the next person kind of thing. Cause like, that's how you're thinking. So yeah. yeah. How, how do you think, or what's the best way to maybe handle an early disagreement, especially yeah, in the early days? Bookkeeping was a great example for us. So I, bookkeeping is not my area of expertise, nor is it my area of interest, but when you're running an agency, you have to keep books, right? Like that's just a thing. And so initially she was keeping the books and then we felt like it had kind of gotten behind, like outside of her expertise. We brought in a bookkeeper, a person that she knew. I found that bookkeeper to be lacking. Uh, invoices weren't going out. They weren't correct. They weren't on time. We weren't collecting at the right rate. We were running out of money constantly. And so the conflict was, we need to fire her because she's not doing a very good job, but oh no, I know her. My dad's known her for a million years. And so it it spiraled, right? Like it spiraled out of control to the point where the agency had no money. Like we had no money to pay vendors or nonprofit, not nonprofits, um, our freelancers, like we had no money. And that's when it got really bad. And we eventually like went and got somebody else's help to help us with bookkeeping and collections. Um, but we also had like points of conflict around collections. So she would do the hustling work to like go out and like pick up a check someplace. And then she would want to use that money initially to pay um, like freelancers and vendors. And I would say, no, 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 we need to pay ourselves first. And that became a real big point of conflict in terms of how we were doing cash flow management and cash management. But neither one of us knew how to talk about it as cash management. And so that put us in a really uncomfortable and bad place around money early on. And Josh, I see you nodding again. Have you had like- a I was similar- even saying exactly. I was like, exactly. Like it's not not that I, I had to do all the invoices. It was miserable. We had no software. I hated it. But uh, but no, I, I didn't run into that exact situation, but a million situations just like that. And that's why I wanted to keep breaking it down because, you know, like it's really, imp- it happens to everyone, I would say. Um, every person that has a founder, you run into this problem once a day, almost. Um, so, so no, I, I really appreciate you sharing that story as well. And yeah, it's, so it's tough because early. Oh, go ahead, Cass. No, please, Alex. I'm gonna say it's it's tough early on because you would think that it would go into like the operating agreement, but then like to what extent do you take it? Right, like all of these little issues come up. Um, I don't know. I've I've been in a lot of different partnerships, um, and it's always a challenge. Um, but it's you just have to essentially be comfortable just bringing it up and just I don't know if it. I mean, in some partnerships, it's like, okay, we're going to meet once a week and talk about all the shit that we don't want to talk about. In other ones, you just bring it up when it happens. I guess it's just feeling out the situation. I don't know. What's, what's worked for you now, Cass? So a couple of thoughts here. One is that we now run on EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System, that has a structure for identifying, discussing, and solving issues. 
Mm-hmm. And it's required and it's just part of the culture now. And it really does help and work. And it's something that I wish that we had had earlier. Um, another thing that comes to mind is that when people start a business, especially an agency, I think they totally overlook the necessity of business knowledge and operational knowledge. And so I challenge people now. I'm like, if you don't have an interest in either sales or business operations, you should not have an agency. You just shouldn't. Like go be a freelancer, right? Like invoice your freelance clients, just go and do your own thing. But like, don't expect to have freelancers or staff to pay or books to books to keep in that le- in that level other than like collecting your check for your work. Just be a freelancer. And that's okay, right? Like you can make a ton of money being a freelancer, but that doesn't mean that you should have an agency or run a business. And I wish somebody had told me that. But like, yes, do you really want to do all the operations? Like, here's what it means. I probably still would have done it because I love it and it's hard for me. But also somebody should, like, I wish somebody should have told me that. That would have been great. I think that's such an important piece that you just added there at the end, right? Like some of us are entrepreneurial and and therefore we want to start a business. And then we run into everything you just said. And we almost didn't, we're like, I thought you could just, if you build it, they will come, you know? And not only like the market side of it, like the operation side of it, the finance side of it, like the every part of side of it is like, oh, this is like a business and not just like an idea. And a lot of entrepreneurs are idea makers. Uh, Alex and I were actually talking about this, that like, I love starting. I love getting it off the ground. I'm, I can do that. Like it's no, like it's easy. I'm not as well versed on the execution side and the operation side and everything. Um, so that's where I need a good business partner to to really push that side forward. So um, I, I think that's. And then the other thing I just wanted to add that I, I kind of wrote is, you know, there needs to be an obnoxious amount of trust and respect between yeah. you and the founder, and that's how you can enter those conversations. Um, is, is I think that's. Of- True. And you can't get the fear of other people liking you or not liking you get in the way. And I think one of the pros and cons of me as a marketing professional is that like, I want people to like me. I want people to like what I have to say, to sign off on my ideas, to agree with my perspective. Like being liked is super important in the role that I play. In the company, being liked gets in the way of having meaningful conversations that are rooted in conflict. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, that's that's a short that's a short term like like they'll they may not like you in the short term, but if you're willing to spend the time and go deep and have those difficult conversations, there's going to be an an immense amount of trust and respect built. So. Um, yeah, but it's, it's tough. I ran a business with my best friend, um, back in 2015, what a nightmare. Um, and it really hurt our relationship. We, we were able to rebound and it's stronger now, but through that process, the amount that we argued and it wasn't natural for me, he's much more, um, let's say open to conflict, um, than I am just naturally. And so I had to essentially like level up to match him. Cause I was like, I can't just lose all of these if I'm not willing to play. And then it kind of just like broke the seal for me now. I'm just like, okay, we got to have a tough conversation. It just has to happen. So I think at least for me, it was just, just repetition. You just have to like go into it and just do it. And just, I don't know, 
Just well, and now I have so many more tools, right? Like I've got EOS, I've got IDS, that helps. But then also I'm a member of the entrepreneurs organization and my forum has this incredible clearing tool. So now I have these tools to clear conflict or if something does, and I went in with none of those tools, none of mm-hmm. them, and like did not have any access to those tools at the time, but also didn't know what I didn't know, right? If you think about the Jahari witness, like I, uh, Jahari witness, uh, window, I had like this huge lack of awareness in a lot of areas of my life because I was not involved in running a business uh prior. And I just didn't know what I didn't know. And I think that exploration is important for entrepreneurs early on. So pick up, pick some kind of framework, whether it's EOS or something else to, to help you. Something to help you because otherwise you're free floating out there in the universe without anything that's really grounding. And Mm -hmm. so I find that if I had had something grounding or a framework or guidelines or perspective, it would have, I think it would have been helpful. For me, early on. Yeah, I'd love for you guys to tell my fantasy football league all of this because I am that person that comes in and I'm like, take it too seriously and I want to argue with everyone. Uh, Also, and the other thing I would say to that is uh, my Byers-Briggs is ENTP, which supposedly is is the debater. And us on this side, we like to think that we're just trying to throw all angles at the table. And if, if someone's not doing that, then like, who will? Um, so Alex, on, on behalf of, of us arguers, I want to apologize, uh, that, that we do that all the time. Don't worry. I've leveled up. I, I, I can handle it these days. <laughs> and like, I'm an INTJ and I'm also an action communicator and like being an action communicator, all I want to talk about is what we're going to do. Oh. And that's hard for people who are not action communicators, for people communicators or process communicators or ideas communicators. Like I can be very hard to deal with, but a lot of CEOs are action communicators because they have very clear vision on what needs to be done and how to move forward and like what to do and create action plans. But in a partnership, if you don't have somebody who's also an action communicator and they want to be a people communicator, that also creates a lot of conflict. Yeah, uh, for us, I, I actually think Myers-Briggs is very important. The first time I read it kind of blew my mind. And then and then for the, the first company, we all read each other's uh, Myers-Briggs and it's amazing how, you, how much you learn of why they're, they're being that way, right? Like he's not just arguing, he's arguing because he's just trying to get more points across the, on the board. And, and then we have more points to, so like, I just thought, I always think it's really important to understand that. And, and it's almost like relieving to understand why they're, they're being annoying in your eyes. So to, uh, Josh, to did on, you do that yeah. with, uh, with that third partnership that you were talking about where someone had to come in and kind of help mediate? No, I haven't. Um, Might be uh, worth doing. Yeah, I'm trying not to share too much about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah I got you. <laughs> no, but whether it's we'll Myers-Briggs it or communication style or DISC or Colbier or motivators, I've done them all and they all provide a different level of insight into myself and the team. And yeah, that's also something. At some point, my old partner and I, we did have a coach that was, when we got acquired, they forced us to have a coach to like work with us on some things. And that was the first time we had done this exploration of, our motivators and how we communicate and, and what was creating some conflict. Perfect. Oh, I love that. Let's um, dive into the, the acquisition. Go ahead. You, you know, I guess you knew what I was asking next. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so yes, exactly. Uh, so then you sold a majority uh, of the company to a third party and then bought back the whole thing. Um, so can you talk a little bit more about why you sold and what it was like going through the M&A process? I mean, the truth of the matter is that I sold to get out of my partnership. Terrible idea. 
Mm. Like you don't solve a problem by bringing in new problems, right? But that's that's why I did it because I didn't know another way to resolve some of the issues and I did not have the courage to be able to address it head on. So we had put together an advisory board and one of the advisory board members um, made an introduction for us to a company, a publishing company, who was having a hard time with a delivery of their social media campaigns to their sponsors and advertisers. So we came in and helped them figure it out. And like, that was great. Um, And then they were, they, they had a history of acquisitions. And so they offered to buy us. It was a time when it was tax advantageous for them to do so. And I was motivated to try to find a way out of my partnership and to move the business forward. And uh, that's what happened. The due diligence process was quick, real quick, too quick. And we did no due diligence on them prior to signing the deal. Uh, And I think part of the reason was the motivation to try to fix something that was broken. So I'm going to recycle one of my questions in, um, you know, what would you have done differently this time? Well, one, I would have done a lot of due diligence on them. I would have talked to the other founders of the companies that they acquired. I would have asked what worked and what didn't work in terms of that. I would have put together a business plan of what these two entities coming together looks like. What are the expectations for it? What are goals? What does success look like? How do the two entities interact with each other? I would have done all like absolutely business plan, absolutely due diligence. I would have talked to some of the leaders in the company about whether or not they were aligned on this acquisition or not. And I think... Another thing that was really important that I didn't do was negotiate and have clarity around the terms of engagement once the acquisition had gone through. Meaning, how did I interact with the owner of the company that acquired us? Because at that point, we still had equity. So I was a partner with the owner of this business, but I was a young woman and there were a lot of young women in the company, but not all of them were partners with the boss. So like, what did that mean and how did it work and how did it interact? I also would have put some guidelines in place in terms of certain goals, metrics, reporting and partners meetings, which we also did not do. So there was no accountability. There was only accountability one way towards us. There was no accountability the other way, which was problematic. I mean, that's the beginning of the laundry list of things that I would have done. But I think the most important thing is to do due diligence on the company that's acquiring you. Was the um, acquisition set for any type of earnout, or was it supposed yeah. to be that they acquired you and you're you're going to stay for a long time? There was an earnout component, um, but initially, I think the intention was for us to stay for a long time, um, at least a series of years. And we were young; we were really young, so we were like, "Ah, you know, we'll be in this. We don't want to leave this. Like, this looks great. We're going to be partners with the head of this, you know, successful company that's multi generational." But, um, but yeah, there was there was an earnout component and also like a base salary, which was it was the first time in a long time I had a base salary, so that was that was also <laughs> attractive. How old were you during this whole process? I must have been thirty. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Which yeah, I think is really- you know, you, you've twenty nine. I don't know that that age of like twenty one to thirty. You're kind of just getting an understanding of everything, and then thirty plus. I'm only thirty three, so I'm, I can only speak, I guess, to there. But uh, yeah. you're like, all right, here's all the things I've learned. Now let me execute on everything. Um, so you were still in learning phase. I was uh, still very much in learning phase, and it was my first business. I'd never had a business, <laughs> so that was new too. Yeah. How how long after you started did the acquisition happen? So 
formally about two years. Okay, pretty quick. Wow, wow quick. Pretty, yeah. Wow. Holy crap. Not enough time to learn operations at that point. No, yeah. no. So if you think about it, like I was two years into my full on partnership and it wasn't working. And my answer was to sell the company and somebody actually bought it. Like, <laughs> That's a, that's another big part of it that we're. What? I don't even have time to get to it, but finding someone to buy is is hard in it in and of itself. Right? Like, what a strange thing to happen. So then, I'm going to dive into that. How did you find the buyer, or, through, or how did they find you? Yeah, yeah, through one of our advisory board members. They knew the owner. We had gone in and done some projects for them, and uh, there was a you know conversation about whether or not we'd be up for sale. Interesting. And then why did you... And were you filling them? a void that they didn't do? Yeah. Yeah. They um, didn't necessarily have the social media expertise that we had. And so they needed it. They really needed it. And um, I think they, you know, because they had a history of acquiring different properties from a publishing perspective, they thought they could also hire a services mm-hmm. delivery partner. Yeah, great question. Um, Why did you end up buying it back? Because it failed. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, the company lost so much value, and I didn't even know it. Like we weren't getting. So they took over all of our financial operations, our HR operations, our IT, which was also very attractive, right? We talked earlier about how like I had no business operations expertise and really no interest in business operations. So like they were going to give us these platforms and this incredible technology that we could use to grow. Um, We didn't see like bank statements or financial reports or P&Ls or like anything for months and months and really had no realization that the company was losing money every single month. Like we didn't know it. And so then, uh, and it was pretty miserable. Like it was a miserable place. They went through a lot of transition during that year um, in terms of their leadership and people leaving. And we had a lot of issues with focus at the time and what we were doing. And our swim lanes kept changing because my partner and I like couldn't get along within the business. So they kept like swapping our roles and responsibilities. It was, it was pretty awful and bringing consultants to try to fix us and so, you know, she decided she was out, like she was done. She had had enough. She was getting married. She was over it. And so she wanted out. And then I think the partner, they looked at the acquiring partner they looked at the books and they were like, this business is failing. And so they were like, uh, I think we're going to sell it off for pieces. And I was like, I think I'd like to buy it back. And well, so that's what happened. So then you buy it back, and yeah. according to your LinkedIn, now everything turns uh, everything turned around. Um, oh, yeah, it was perfect. <laughs> oh. Talk about exactly that. Yep. Oh, hard. So we were actually in their offices. They gave us twenty three days to move out. So like, I had to go find a place to be because at the time, right, companies were in offices. So I needed to find an office in twenty three days, and I needed to set up a banking relationship, and I needed a 401k provider and I needed healthcare and like I needed all of those things. So those 23 days were really, really rough. I'm fortunate that I have an incredible network of people, of friends, of supporters who are like, oh, you need this, you need this, you need this. Okay, great. Like we'll help you and help me connect all those dots. So that was fantastic. Um, The business continued to struggle um, a lot. Now we did, the one thing of which I am most proud is that my whole team came with me, uh, not my partner, but the rest of the employees uh, did come with me and they did not miss a paycheck, even though we were losing money every month. 
um, put me in a rough spot for over a year. And uh, that was pretty tough. So I was also very fortunate to have a great sales coach in my network who taught me how to sell because I'd never really done that before. And uh, that changed the game for the business. It took about took just about a year to turn it around. Almost hmm. half of the time that it took to get it to sale, which is pretty crazy to think that's, about. That's still a really short amount of time. That's, that's true too. <laughs> Which yeah, I mean, we were a services business, right? So, like, we made some choices, you know, in terms of services and provide all and whatnot. Um, but then, yeah, we we got we got a lot of help, a lot of help. I feel like that's the theme, um, right? Even when I asked before, uh, you know, how did you figure out how to figure out an argument uh, between your? Uh, it was help. It was let's let's help. go outside of ourselves here. Let's go outside of ourselves. It's. Let's not just be this solo entrepreneur that's trying to figure out everything and, and use our network. Um, and I guess speaking on network and, and kind of getting into the community conversation, um, you know, your website and we're going to get, I, I wouldn't call this tactic, but a little bit of how you run the company, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, your website mentions six audiences that matter, and that is client, employees, investors, centers of influence, partners, and competition. Um, so before I do get into three of them, can you kind of just explain what all that means? So... Every company has to interact with people, like actual human beings. And a lot of times they forget that, right? They forget that there are actual human beings that need to buy from them or refer to them or, you know, have approve their contract or approve their bid. Like actual people with fears and families and aspirations and goals. And um, so often like, yeah, com- most companies I know have no idea who their audiences are. No idea who they are, what they care about, where they get news and information, who influences their decision making, how they make decisions. They just don't know. And so that's why we created this framework of the six audiences that matter to help them start thinking about like actual human beings and what matters to them and how they can support the success of the company. And then, you know, down the line, how they get those actual people's attention, how they keep it and how they use it. So now I want to pull three of those because they kind of tie a little bit more to this employee or this community side of everything. Yeah. Um, and, you know, share whatever you want kind of on in these three. The first one being employee or the three are employees, center of influence and partners, because I think those are the most community building ones. So yeah. obviously employees is, is a community in and of itself. It so um, you can take I can either go one, two, three on those. You can take one of those if you want. I'll, I'll let you run with it first. I love them all. I'm going to start with employees. Perfect. Um, Yeah. And I think the reason that you have, I mean, people talk all the time about how you have to have great people. We have the best people, blah, 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 whatever. But really like they don't understand their people um, or what motivates them, what excites them or how to get the attention of people that might want to work for them. Um, There's a ton of research that shows that really smart people want to work with other really smart people. And so many companies have not promoted their really smart people because they live in fear. They're like, oh, if I, you know, focus on this person or do a uh, an employee highlight of that person, they're going to get they're going to get pulled away. They're going to get recruited someplace else. And like, yeah, you know, maybe that'll happen, but maybe that would happen other anyway if you're not like giving them respect and dignity and and using them um, and, and promoting their professional development. So we talk a lot about employee social advocacy 
and how great employees attract other great employees when they're given the support, training, tools, and skill set to do so, um, because employees are, are a community. The other thing that we find is that a lot of employees or prospective employees or employees that even you pass on end up go, going to work for places that like might hire you or buy from you or like become a great strategic partner for you, right? Like we don't think about that. We think about them in this like bucket of there's a resume in my inbox. Am I going to accept them or reject them? But like they are a whole person with a whole career and a whole professional life ahead of them. Are you really going to treat that particular person, which you just see as a resume, in a bad way? No, like hopefully not, right? Like today they're applying for a job, but tomorrow they might be signing your contract. And so as you start to think about not just a group of resumes or a group of employees, but as a community of people that are going to impact your success today and success tomorrow, you start to treat them very differently. And you start to encourage them to interact with each other very differently. Yeah, that was that was beautiful. I, I love That's that. That's great. Yeah. Um, do you want to just kind of spend a sentence or two on the centers of influence and partners? And then we'll get to our last yes. So centers of influence, um, I think are one of the most overlooked audiences. Um, people, I, I talk to people all the time. They're like, I'm like, Oh, how do you get most of your business? They're like, Oh, word of mouth. I'm like, okay, great. What's your center of influence strategy? They're like, Oh, I don't have what. Perfect. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. you're telling me that 80% of your revenue comes from people who refer you business but you have no plan or strategy or materials or budget focused on those people. I'm like, what, what if you did? What if you did? Wouldn't that be great? A lot of times your, your marketing strategy is separate from your centers of influence strategy because the way that you talk to those people, what motivates them, what they care about, what's important to them, what they need to know or want to know is different than your customer or client. But if you can effectively like work with those people and get them to send you more business? Like, wouldn't you want to do that? Yes. But almost no, nobody spends any real time or money on their center of influence strategy, even when they get most of their business through word of mouth. It's mind blowing strategically. And then, yeah, go ahead, Josh. No, no, I was just going to kind of repeat what you said, but it, it does blow my mind where like everyone that I talk to, the main way, especially in agencies is word of mouth. However, they think that like word of mouth marketing, even though they're in marketing, really just means like you can't, you don't have too much control over it. You know, like it's just, it is what it is and it just happens when it happens. Um, and, and just putting a little bit of effort can kind of hockey stick that up and, and increase it. It really can, but they don't know how to do it. Right. Because so much of what they're focused on is let me promote my product or service to my customer without even thinking of like, wait, 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 wait. what is the disproportionate impact that can be created by this group of people? If I don't focus on product or service, if I do focus on relationship and value and benefit, but that 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 mind shift is too hard, too hard mm -hmm. to get there. If and then you the can make it, yeah, go oh. ahead. No, no. I was gonna say if you can make that more concrete, the centers of influence, like what's what's like one example that someone could do to um I guess deepen their yeah, relationships with a center of influence that's bringing them referrals. So I'm a big fan of co-created content. I love it. Like if you're going to bring me a referral, like I want to put you, I want to do a blog post together, a video series together, a webinar together, an event together. I mean, it's part of the way that so Social Media Day, the nonprofit that I helped found was born. Social Media Day was born by me getting some of my founders of influence together and saying, hey, do you want to speak at this conference that we're going to put on? 
right? Whether they were web development partners or analytics partners or content partners or PR partners or whatever, like, yeah, come speak at this conference I'm going to put on. And a whole nonprofit was built out of that. And like that nonprofit has done tremendous and given me tremendous benefit in terms of employees and word of mouth and brand reputation. Josh, you said you heard of us. It's probably for that reason. Yeah. Probably because we found it a nonprofit in an annual conference. And I and I also like want to apologize because I have a whole subset of questions about like the boards that you're on and networks, and we just don't have enough time. So, so I'm so I'm so glad that you got to, that got that in there and brought that up because I was like I felt bad that I couldn't get any of like the all right we're gonna say I'm the Entrepreneurs Organization of Philadelphia and, and Business yeah. Leadership Forum of the Union League of Philadelphia, Small Business Board of the Greater Philadelphia Chamber of Commerce. Treehouse Books, uh, Pennsylvania 30-Day Fund, and HopeWorks. All right, I had to get those out because I Thank think you. deserve a lot of credit. All right, we're going to tack on a few more. Women's Business Enterprise Council, Alliance of Women's Entrepreneurs, the Science Center, Philly Ad Club, Union League, and Entrepreneurs Organization. You are in the communities if there is, an, or if, if there is anyone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's so meaningful. It's so meaningful. It's such a great opportunity. And when I bought the company back and needed help, like those are the organizations that I went to to get help. And when COVID happened and people wanted to know how do you communicate through crisis, those are the organizations I went to and said, let me help. Let me help because I have an expertise on digital communications and communicating through crisis. Let me help your people. And so like the give and get is what matters. And I think it's it's part of the reason that we are where we are today. All right. Phew. I got that off. I got yeah, that. Thank you. Had, you had a little bit of it. All right. Good. I, I like wanted to do that so bad. So <laughs> um, I had to. All right. So some of the questions we we tend to ask at the end, um, how can you work with other marketing agencies or, you know, what services can you provide other agencies? So in other words, you know, what do agencies tend to reach out to you for? So we are very much a communications agency. And what I mean by that is like, if you need a back and forth with reporters or people on social or via email, you come to us. Um, a lot of times we are referred by web development agencies who are like, we made this beautiful website, we need to get people there. Or brand agencies who are like, we created this incredible brand, but now you know we need to make sure that people know about it. That's that's our job. We are the promotion people, we are the comms people, we are the attention people, and that's where most of our relationships come from. And then flipping the question around, if a client asks, you know, can you do this in a service you don't currently provide, how do you typically handle that request? I mean, we have an incredible network of partners. We really do that we vetted over the years, whether it's video production or like I said, website development or brand development or brand research. We send out referrals, I mean, a couple of times a month to other agencies. And again, I, I just want to highlight for you and even the listeners that a lot of the reason that we ask these questions is because that's what we're trying to do with this podcast is yeah. we're not just trying to put it out in the world and cool, you know, we we spoke to that person. We're really trying to build like this referral network and the community network between the agencies that we speak with because, you know, yeah. like you've been mentioning, if, if you only do communications, but you need web dev, you know, like, yeah, let's build that network and, and just make it, oh, let's reach out to the message and marketing agency people first, see if they have anyone good. And then, you know, if we don't, then they can do whatever they normally did. But there you go. Um, yeah. Josh, before you get into your other questions, um, I want to dive into this with Cask since you're part of so many different communities. Um, Let's say that you were in our shoes and starting a new community and it's all, yes. let's say, digital marketing owners. Um, what would be your first steps to provide the most amount of value um, without getting too overwhelmed? I'm a big fan of what you all are doing, which is like, give it away. Give it away all the ideas, give away the checklist, give away the frameworks, give away the recommendation, like give it all away. And usually that's a great way to start. But then I think what's really important is that keep part of attention, which is what is the follow-up plan? 
Like all the people on the podcast, when's the next time you talk to them? When is it? Right? Do you automatically talk to them in three weeks? Do you automatically talk to them in six months? Do you follow up with them a year from now? Like, how do you do that? Because the follow up, the follow through, the top of mind is like the whole thing when it comes to community building. It was one of the struggles we had with Social Media Day, which was that we had a, an annual conference, one annual conference, and it was great. But every year I would say, hey, who's here for the first time? And like 80% of the people would raise their hand. And like, oh, that sucks, right? Because that is not community. That is like new people showing up for a one-day event. And so we decided to create this co-mentoring program for the community and then more annual events and a super meetup and like an awards program, which is really about like, how do we stay connected with these people multiple times throughout the year in various ways that they care about? And so it Mm -hmm. really is about the keep, the keeping attention is how you build community. Interesting. Yeah, there's, um, so taking in what we talked about on this episode, I mean, we can distill down specific, you know, I don't know if it's something that's sent by email or attached to the profile like specific things that were shared during this episode that may be of value to any other agency owner. And we have that, I mean, there's, it's more recently, we've gone into specific topics a lot deeper. Um, So I think there's, there's a lot of wealth of information there. And um, I'm wondering how we turn that into value for others without essentially just filling up their inbox. What is EOS? And then how would agency owners who are running EOS or considering EOS want to connect with each other? Because I actually do very much want to talk with other agency owners who are running EOS about what their weekly leadership team scorecard looks like. Mm. I want to know. Tell me about that. I want to share best practices because like, we're still not quite right on it. Um, But there are things like that that I think are specific Uh, and important. Like the Jahari window. Like that has blown my mind and changed my life. Do other owners know what that is? Like, And whether or not it's useful. I haven't heard of it. No. Oh my gosh, it's a whole thing about known and unknown and self-discovery and recognizing your blind spots, right? The clearing tool. The clearing tool has been an amazing thing that has changed trust and relationship in my agency. It is like six parts. It's amazing. I love it. It's the way to deal with conflict. And I would love to talk to people about the clearing tool. That's really interesting. I, I haven't thought about that. It kind of um, creating almost like, um, I don't know, they, necessarily, they don't necessarily have to be cohorts, but um agency owners that share the same practices hooking them up to say are you interested in talking to another agency owner that is doing this and learning from each other yeah hmm. uh and then i'm going to try to squeeze in two more questions um if you were listening to this show what topics would you like us to cover i always like to like i want to know about the future I want to know, like, what is everybody experimenting with right now? What are they trying? What are they unsure is going to work or not work? I mean, we're doing a ton right now on threads um, that I think is a really interesting conversation. But yeah, I want to know about the future. What are you trying? What are you experimenting with? What are you unsure whether or not it's going to work? Perfect answer. Our season two is all about the future of marketing. So that was... uh, Go back, listen to season two. Yeah, our season two in that one. And the last question, and maybe my favorite question, um, any books, podcasts, or newsletter recommendations that can be in marketing, can be in business, it doesn't have to be, anything you want? So I have three that I just bought that I haven't gotten into yet, but if you have, let me know. One is a biography of John D. Rockefeller that I'm excited about. One is um, The Coaching Habit, which I'm doing a ton on coaching and creating a a company. company culture of coaching right now. And then the third one is 10X is Easier Than 2X by Dan Sullivan. 
Um, obviously, like I'm a big fan of Traction, which is the EOS book. I've read all of the EOS books multiple times, and I keep going back to them in terms of you know Traction, Rocket Fuel, what the heck is EOS? Every one of my employees gets what the heck is EOS. There's a new book on process um, that I have here on my bedstand, and I'm reading the Stephen Covey Jr. books about trust, about the speed of trust, trust and relationships, trans formative, the 13 trust behaviors that he lays out, but it's Stephen Covey Jr., not his dad. I, I did in my little notes about Jr. Uh, they, they were some great, I, I actually don't know half the books that you said, but I think those are great suggestions uh, and like a wide variety. That was, mm-hmm. that was great. Um, and as we come up to the end of the episode, I just want to give you an opportunity to mention how people can find you and anything else you'd like to end with. I'm one of the easiest people to find on the internet. Um, just look at Cass Bailey. You should find my books and my LinkedIn and all of the things. Um, hopefully we connect on LinkedIn. I love to share videos on LinkedIn. I try to make at least one a week and like put them out there in terms of things that I'm thinking about. And if we were sitting and having coffee, like, and you asked me for a piece of advice, what I would probably tell you. So find me on the internet and also look into Social Media Day PHL, um, which is a Philadelphia centric organization. But we actually have members from across the country who really care about the future of digital communications. We have an annual conference, but an awards program, co-mentoring, super meetup, lots of really cool and interesting things for our members that we're working on. And I've recently passed on the chairmanship. Um, I was the founding chair, but Tiffany Wilson, who runs Social Media at Comcast, amazingly incredible, kind generous brilliant woman is now our chair and so try to connect with her too uh, you know I, I just gotta end by saying like as two people who came up through the philly startup scene alex and i literally met uh we have a story that we've shared before we'll share it after um uh, that can't that met in the startup scene like we can't appreciate more the the support that everyone puts into the the community so Thank you so much for that. And and thank you so much for coming on the show. And for those of you who have learned something new from this episode, please consider giving us a like or a follow so we can continue getting the highest quality of guests. And as always, thank you for listening. Cass, I love this episode. Thank you so much. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Alex. This is really fun. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Masters in Marketing Agency podcast. I hope you got a ton of value out of this episode. And before we go, I just want to thank our sponsors, DevNoodle. DevNoodle provides marketing agencies with the ability to offer their clients unlimited website design, build, and management services with fixed monthly plans. If website design, development, and maintenance is holding your agency back from growing, please reach out to us at devnoodle.com, where we make websites easy, easy for you and easy for your clients, devnoodle.com.